and we thank you and honor you for that. In your wonderful name, Lord. Amen. Okay. Now, uh, anytime you read from the book of Numbers, it's usually not a happy camping trip. Uh, the book of Numbers, they were 40 years in the wilderness. And the whole book is about grumbling, rebellion, and nasty things. Okay, if you've ever read the book, that's what the book is about. And so uh, here, if I can maybe just give you a little tour of the book of Numbers. It's called Numbers because as the book opens up, it's got begat, 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 begat. You ever hit those chapters in the Bible? And you go, dear God, <laughs> we'll just jump over those. And you have about uh, four or five of those chapters. And then you bump into the first sort of thing in the book of Numbers. Listen to this as the book begins. The adultery test for the unfaithful woman in Numbers 5. And the poor girl had to bring, drink this brew that they'd, they'd brought up. And it's kind of fun to read. But they had this test about how to deal with the wayward woman. Now, that is how Numbers opens in its story. Then, as you proceed, Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, along with her brother Aaron, challenged Moses in Numbers 12. And it's not a happy camping trip. Miriam ends up with leprosy and outside the camp. Uh, everyone sort of got the drift of how the book... It's sort of a pretty miserable book, if I can be really honest. And then you get to Numbers 13, and I'm sure many people are familiar with this. You've got the unfaithfulness of ten spies. And, and if you remember, they went out, and, uh, and of that, uh, those ones that came back just gave a negative report. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive report. Now, then you move on, and then there's a story in Numbers 15 of the unfaithful man who broke the Sabbath. And so he gets stoned to death for picking up sticks on a Saturday. It's sort of not your late night reading sort of there, what you just want to drift off to sleep with. Uh, and then you have uh, the story of Korah's Rebellion. And the young guys love this story, particularly at Children's Church, because the ground of the earth opens up and swallows them alive straight into the bowels of the earth, uh, if you're familiar with that story. And then you have the unfaithfulness of Moses himself at Meribah uh, in Numbers 20, and he'll be stopped from ever entering the promised land because of his unfaithfulness at that point. And then you have this, the story of the fiery serpents striking Israel as they grumble in the wilderness, and you have that story there in Numbers 21. And then by the time you get to Numbers 22 to 24, you've got an unfaithful prophet called Balaam, and Balaam is... Uh, is, is a man, is an interesting character, and you might remember he had a, quite an interesting donkey. And, uh, and, and then finally, you have the unfaithfulness of Israel at Beal Peor, when the whole nation apostatized before uh, Moses, before Israel. And, uh, and so uh, Israel just grumbled, and there was judgment, grumbled and judgment, and how the whole book works. And there's sure no prizes for guessing the theme of the book of Numbers. It's not a happy camping trip. That's what we can call the whole book. So today I read from Numbers 27. The older generation about nearly all passed away. And now what happens, they're standing on the threshold to go into the promised land. And this Joshua and Caleb. And after 40 years, they're about to enter their inheritance. 
So Numbers 27 opens this way. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Ephur, the son of Gilead, the son of Micaiah, the son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And this just does not look good. It's just like all the other stories, and you would read this, and you're sort of in anticipation for another story of judgment and misery. That's what you're expecting. And so... Uh, it looks like it's going to be insubordination and like it, there's grumbling here. And to make the whole thing worse, it's women who are doing the challenge. And so uh, these are uh, called the daughters of Zelophehad. I'm just going to call them daughters of the house. Now, with this here, it's a little bit like that series, McLeod's Daughters. Anyone ever seen McLeod's Daughters? And old McLeod, I think he died, if I remember the story right. And the farm was raised by the daughters. And the daughters uh, looked after the farm. When I was in the Department of Agriculture, I literally met a whole farm that ran that way. The farmer had, had passed away and it was run by his daughters. And I worked with them in the Department of Agriculture between Bell Trees and Kempsey uh, area there. And actually, they were very, very good farmers when I worked with them. And uh, that was an interesting journey. So it was a little bit like McLeod's daughters. And so we have Marla, um, a poor girl. Her name meant sickness or disease. But she's the oldest girl in the family. So I'm just going to abbreviate her and I'm going to call her Ma. Okay, so we got Ma, who's the oldest daughter. Then we got this daughter here called Noah. Uh, her name means rest or comfort. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with another figure in, in the Bible called Noah. But this is a girl called Noah. And if you've got a girl, name as Noah and you're a girl, I would suggest you're a tomboy. And so if you imagine this family is you've got Ma, uh, who's probably raised all the kids, and now you've got Noah, the tomboy. And, and of course, she's going to be out there throwing cattle around and doing all the other business. Then we have Hogla. Uh, it means partridge or boxer. <laughs> Reminds me of my Haley or this carrot. Uh, you speak to them and they hit you. Um, anyway, but with a name like Hogla, well, she's got to look after the hogs, wouldn't you say? She's, she's got to be a pig farmer, got to be. And then we have, uh, of course, Milka. Now, Milka means queen or council. Now, if you've got a name like Milka, uh, Milka, Mil uh, I think she's got to look after the cows, okay? So whatever position, we've got Milka who's going to look after the cows. And then we've got the youngest, okay, five daughters, and we've got Terza. She means pleasantness, and I'm going to call her Tizzy. <laughs> so we got Tizzy, and I've got my money on it that the boys like Tizzy. Is that okay? So I'm going to sort of, this is how I sort of look at it. We got Ma, and we got uh, Noah, the tomboy, and Hogler, the one who looks after the pigs and the one that throws the cows around. And finally, we got Tizzy. And uh, anyway, that's, that's my, my picture of this McLeod's daughters. Now, the problem is there's five daughters and there's no sons. Now, under Hebrew inheritance laws, including a what a at Mount Sinai, is under that understanding, the eldest son always received the double inheritance. That was Jewish law. 
uh, uh, Deuteronomy 21, 15 to 17. And then the inheritance was then divided up between all the other sons. Now, if you were a girl, you received a dowry. And once you uh, received the dowry, thus for Dunya, uh, is you became the responsibility of your husband, and there was no inheritance for a female in the Jewish world. Everyone got the picture. Now, what happens there? The system worked, it worked, uh, and it worked somewhat efficiently, and it meant the inheritance of the land stayed with the families. And this had always been their understanding. Now, with this here, there'd been a curse right at the beginning of a creation. We looked at this in another way this morning. But at the beginning of this curse, when man sinned, God first cursed the serpent, then the woman, and then finally the man. And, of course, the little adage goes, you know, God cursed, uh, was it, uh, brought the man to responsibility, man blamed the woman, the woman blamed who? The serpent and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on and so what happens it was sort of along a little along that line so this curse says uh to the woman he said i'll i'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children including morning sickness (laughs) oh god oh my my and that's a little inside uh just a little inside story here uh, and then it goes, your desire, your desire shall be for your husband. Now listen to this, but he shall rule over you. Now, I want you to notice this was the curse. Everyone say the word, curse. So under the curse, there would be pain in bringing forth children. And there would also be uh, where there would be male domination over a woman. So this is the curse. Now, the original blessing of humanity before sin came was Genesis 1.28. And God blessed, what's it say? Them, male and female. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill all the earth and subdue it and have what? Dominion. Now, in the blessing, does it say anything about man having dominion over the woman? Does it say that? No, it just says God blessed both of them to have dominion. But under the curse, unfortunately, this would bring uh, this problem of uh, where your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, under this curse uh, is also down through time came then the Mosaic law, which then presented the law for humanity to live. Now, what happens? These five McLeod's daughters have no brothers And the father has now died. Now, they come and they present themselves before Moses, before Israel, and they challenge the status quo of the nation. They challenge the curse. They challenge the surrounding culture of all other nations that were around them. They challenge the cultural norm within the nation of Israel. But listen to this. They challenge the law of Moses that came on Mount Sinai. Now, at that moment... Well, let me bring the verse up that we read. And they stood before Moses and before Eliaz of the priest and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the tent of meeting saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves uh, against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan? Because he had no son. 
uh, give us to us a possession among our father's brothers. In other words, these McLeod's daughters say, we want the farm. That's what they want. They want the farm. And so with this here, it's sort of like you're expecting, if you've read right through the book of Numbers, you're familiar with the book, that at that moment these daughters of Zelophehad, had, these daughters of the house come, and you're sort of waiting to go, ooh, ooh, what judgment is going to happen? Maybe the poison water test of adultery, as in Numbers 5. Maybe they're going to get smitten like Miriam with leprosy from Numbers chapter 12. Or maybe the ground is going to open up and swallow them alive in this great challenge. Now, that's sort of what you would expect. But right at this point, what happens is Moses uh, doesn't consult the boys. He actually goes before the Lord. And he goes before the Lord and he goes, what should I do? Now, you must understand that for Israel in the wilderness, only the hardest of hard cases went to Moses. He had this whole tear that he placed in, in, into being before this, that only the hardest of cases would come to Moses. And so this for him was probably one of the hardest cases. What are we going to do about this case is uh, they want the farm but it's actually challenging every bit of status quo of the nation. So in verse 5 and 7, it says, Moses brought the case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. They are 100% right. You shall give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. In other words, Moses said, Give them the farm. It's theirs. Now, those McLeod's daughters, in contrary to the whole book of Numbers, they, they actually are the good story in the whole book. That's amazing. You read the whole book, and it's one misery from beginning to end. But these McLeod's daughters, is this is their one victory where the girls get the farm, they get the inheritance. That's sort of a, a neat story, wouldn't you say? And, um, and so the Lord rewarded these girls' faith, and boldness by granting them their inheritance. But if knowing that, Moses granted them that they would receive the inheritance, but the moment is given, they've got to fight for their inheritance every step of the way, even though Moses has given the Lord's verdict that they are to receive their inheritance. If you read the book of Numbers, very late in the book, in Numbers 36, is what happens, their inheritance right will be challenged, guess what? from their own clan. They'll attack this, this decree. And I say, no, if you do this decree, we're going to lose the inheritance to another tribe. And they made a ruling and a restriction over them. They were only to marry within their tribe of Reuben. Uh, they were not allowed to marry outside of that. Now, uh, sorry, not Reuben, uh, the tribe there of Joseph, Manasseh. Now, with this here, we also come to the book of Joshua. And there's a whole chapter, sort of part of it, devoted as they came into the promised land, as they were actually in the process of delegating the inheritance to all the tribes. And this inheritance went to son, 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 son. And it finally came down to McLeod's daughters, the daughters of Zelophehad. And they were going to pass them by. And they were not going to do it. And they, they stood up again. And they say, hey, we had this out before. The inheritance was ours. Why are you going to strip us of what is our right? 
Now, with this here, uh, Joshua 17, 2-3, And allotments were made to the rest of the tribe of Manasseh by the clans, Abiezer, Halek, Azrael, Shechem, Hefer, and Shemida. Now, how many sons do you count there? One, two, three, four, five, six. Is that right? Now, this is going to be important for us. Now, this son of Zelophehad was the son of Hefer. Now, what happens? He had only daughters. He had no sons. And so what happens? One of those six who were going to receive the inheritance had no sons. Now, what happens there? And this is why the girls jump up again. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, son of Micaiah, son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of the daughters. Here we have Ma, we got Noah, we got Miss Hog uh, uh, looker after her, and the cow looker after her, and we have Tizzy. Okay? So the five girls jump up and they say, hang on, you're going to pass us by, but we've already had this out before we ever entered our inheritance. And we're going to fight for what is our right. Now, what happens, um, uh, have you now got the picture? There are six males. One of those six had only daughters. Everyone got the picture? Now, what happens there is, again, this is resolved and they realize that McLeod's daughters are right. They deserve the family farm. And so what happens here? They are awarded that farm. Now, um, so we just look at this. Let me go to the next slide so you get the, the picture of this. Uh, so the inheritance of Manasseh is then given. Now, Manasseh's inheritance is going to be divided into ten portions. Everyone got that? Ten portions. Now, what happens? There is five male sons who have sons, and they are given their inheritance. But the descendant of Hephah, Zelophehad, had only daughters. And so what happens of those ten portions? They are given five. Everyone see that? So let me just give you a simple little mathematics lesson. Five portions given to the boys, five to the girls. In other words, the inheritance divide is equal. Everyone see that? Okay, you need to see that. And so what happens? The male descendants receive five portions of the inheritance, and the female girls here are also going to receive five. So if that mathematics is correct, and I think it's pretty easy to work out it, so an equal portion was given to the boys and to the girls. Everyone follow that. Now, and perhaps one of the darkest books in the Old Testament, this one story shines out in the night sky like a meteor in the night. It's so atypical to the whole book. And it's like this tremendous victory of equality is given to the girls in this chapter. Now, unfortunately, that was probably the highest tide point for women's rights in the Old Testament. That was probably the high tide. It's because the rest of the history is, unfortunately, the curse still worked upon humanity, where your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, what happens there? This one glimmer of light is nearly like this prophetic prophetic announcement that one day 
one day there will be a fulfillment of this. Now, what happens is down through the hundreds of years or a millennia and a half, we come to the time of Jesus Christ. Okay, you got the picture now? We've now fast-forwarded 1,500 years. Now, I want to just introduce you to the world that Jesus walked into. Is that okay? And so I want to go, uh, I, I like this statement, misogyny, hard to spell, easy to practice. <laughs> oh, I like that little one. Uh, but it's a shorthand for uh, your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. That is the curse. Now, with this here, uh, if I bring you to Greek culture, into the world that Jesus walked into, I want to present it to you as the Greeks are lived and thought. Now, for the women, girls were not allowed to receive an education in the Greek Empire. So no girls sat before Socrates or for, before Plato or Aristotle or any of those figures of history. It was boys alone who were trained for rhetorical work and, and philosophy. Now, with this here, they were forbidden to speak in public. Did you know that? Girls were not allowed to speak in public in the Greek culture. Uh, women were forbidden to leave home without a male escort. Um, sort of sounds a little bit like Saudi Arabia today. And so what happened? They were not permitted to eat with males. They were restricted to women's only quarters. And only a mistress was granted some freedoms above. And I think you know what I mean by the word mistress. Now, with this here, under Greek culture, women never, ever received inheritance. That never occurred. Let me read a, a quote from one of the Greek uh, 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 historians at the time, pseudo uh, Demosthenes. I'll read you this quote. Listen to this. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our one person, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our households. <laughs> Ooh, I tell you, that is Greek culture. Let's go to the Roman world that Jesus walked into. Roman world and Roman culture, men were paterfamilias, which means they had absolute power. And in that absolute power, a male alone had the power to divorce a female. Women had no rights in Roman Empire at all. And they possessed the power, listen to this, even to execute their wife in vindication of the law of Rome if they chose to. Okay? Now, this was actually became a real problem in the Roman Empire because what happens is they practiced infanticide, which means they put to death their children uh, if they chose to. And guess who was nearly always put to death? Girls were. They were the ones who were put to death, and the majority that were exposed on those mountaintops, if you read in history, were those young female babies that were unwanted by the Roman Empire. Uh, things don't change much in history, is it? Uh, now we've just got more fancy ways to do that. But it doesn't change much. And then they were forbidden to be guests at a husband's meal. They were not even allowed to eat with the men. And listen to this, under Roman law, no woman was ever allowed to receive an inheritance under Roman law. Now, let me quote 
Seneca, one of the great Roman historians. Uh, let, me, let me read this quote. Uh, he was also a philosopher. Women and ignorance are the two greatest calamities in the world. Let me read this one for you. Zeus designed this as the greatest of all evils, women. Maybe I can read this one to you. Even if some uh, way they may seem to be a help to their husband, especially they are a source of evil. Well, that's interesting thoughts, isn't it, coming from the Roman world. Let's go to what should have been more enlightened. Let's go to the Hebrew world. And we go to the Hebrew world, which the law of Moses came to. And Jesus walked into a Hebrew world where rabbinic law, the, the law of the teachers, held sway over the nation. Women were barred from testifying in court. They were not allowed in a court of law because their testimony was nothing. Is under, under Jewish law, they were forbidden to speak in public. No woman was allowed to speak in public. Uh, they were forbidden to read and study the Scripture. They could not sit under a rabbi. That was never, ever permitted. And then finally, uh, they were separated from all male education. So a male was educated, but a woman was never, ever educated. And guess what? Under the whole Jewish world, women were never, ever allowed to receive an inheritance. Everyone got a picture of the ancient world that Jesus walked into. That's what I want to see. Maybe I should read a few of the Jewish rabbis as they taught. Can I read you a few of those? You'll love these too. Uh, listen to this one. A good Pharisee taken straight from their prayers. I'm going to read you a first century prayer of a Pharisee. Blessed be he who did not make me a Gentile. Blessed is he who did not make me a woman. Blessed is he who did not make me a slave. Blessed is he who did not make me a dog. <laughs> I'll read you another one. The Talmud. A hundred women are no better than two men. Uh, or maybe the Babylonian Talmud. When a boy comes into the world, peace comes into the world. When a girl, girl comes into the world, nothing comes. Now, friends, I don't think... You need to be a rocket scientist to realize Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall what? He shall rule over you. The curse was well and truly entrenched over that world. So as we come, I think Jesus never forgot McLeod's daughters. Good old Ma, good old, uh, you know, Noah and the tomboy and Hoglar and Milkar and Tizzy. He even likes Tizzy. And I want to just take you for excursion of the Gospels, just for a moment. Will you allow me to do that? Because Jesus entered this world. And as he comes, if you read the Gospels, Matthew Gospel opens and has all these begat, 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 begats. But unlike most genealogies, Matthew just drops in key women in the whole story, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, all outsiders who were women who didn't just have rights because they were women, but they were complete outsiders and were perceived as never could have rights. And they are just inserted into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Luke's gospel opens with two women, you know it well, Elizabeth and Mary, and devotes two whole chapters to their story. Uh, the angel Gabriel doesn't appear to Joseph, but who does he appear to? Heaven forbid. He appears to Mary. 
Uh, when Jesus presented, was presented in the temple, listen to this. As he comes to the temple, he has two prophetic words given over his life. One from a male prophet called Simeon and one from a female prophet called Anna. Two prophecies given over his life. One from the men, one from the women. Jesus' first miracle he ever did was at the request of his mother, Mary. Uh, if we come, Jesus' last action uh, there uh, that he did on earth was directed to Mary on the cross. We have the longest recorded dialogue Jesus ever had with a person in the New Testament was a woman. Now, she was a Samaritan. But you read the story. The disciples were never shocked that Jesus was talking to her because he was a, she was a Samaritan. They were shocked because she was a... That's what they were shocked at. She was female. And they were shocked. And it's the longest recorded account. Jesus will spend equal time healing women as men in the Gospels. You add them up. It's exactly nearly equality. And so the woman with the issue of blood, Mark 5. Jairus' daughter, Mark 5 also. The crippled woman on the Sabbath, Luke 13. Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I tell you, if you're going to heal someone's mother-in-law, I tell you, mate, you're taking a big risk just there. <laughs> but he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now, Jesus, along with 12 disciples, do you realize there was also a group of women who followed Jesus? Now, Jesus is not going to hang around with 12 women. Can I just suggest? But they were there in the background. And not only that, we are told they actually supported Jesus and they kept them afloat financially for three years. Did you know it was the girls' home group that did that? Uh, and then Jesus welcomed Mary, listen to this, as she's sitting before him as a teacher, a rabbi, and even Martha cannot believe that Mary would challenge the status quo that a girl can sit and be educated at the feet of the rabbi. And when push comes to shove, who did Jesus say was right? Mary has chosen the better part. Leave her alone. She needs to be in Bible school. Then we come to, uh, in his teaching, uh, he used both male and female illustrations. I'm not sure whether you uh, have read that. But, you know, is leaven in flour. Uh, you know, the parable of leaven, that was not a male illustration. The parable of lost coins, do you remember who was searching for it, was a woman. And so Jesus' teaching, he sort of divides it up equally between male and female. Probably only Mary, uh, you know, who had the seven demons cast out of her, truly understood his teaching. And she... Uh, of course, will have great influence as the apostle to the apostles. Uh, Jesus would restore the wayward woman, the sinful woman of Luke 7, the adulterous woman of John chapter 8, and it will be women who will be last with Jesus at the cross and will be the first to see him in the resurrection. Let me tell you, no other culture was going to write that. Only the one that received from God. And it was a woman who becomes the first apostle to the apostles, as I mentioned a little bit ago. And so Jesus came to bring fulfillment and light to the daughters in the house. Everyone got that? Okay. So Jesus come and he turns the world upside down. Now our New Testament tells us this. Galatians 3.13. Listen to these words. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the, what? Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus takes the curse. So when you open the book of Acts and the curse is removed, Jesus has paid for all sin. Is He says the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Spirit is going to be your inheritance, your right as a believer in what he has done. So we turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Listen to the words. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on your male servants, your female servants, in those days I'll pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. Just in case you missed it the first time, the book of Acts says it twice. Male servants, female servants. Now, as we read this, I think if I do my mathematics correctly, in the New Testament, it means that the inheritance comes equally upon male and what? female. And so we are told in the Bible, uh, we receive the riches of His grace, Ephesians 2.7. The riches of His glory, Philippians 4.19. The riches of His kindness, Romans 2.4. The riches of His wisdom, Romans 11.33. The riches of God in Christ. And so in the new covenant, it doesn't matter who you are, as we receive the blessing of the inheritance. That's why Acts 21.9, it says, Philip had four daughters who were unmarried, who what? Who prophesied. And, and, you know, what do you do with prophesy? Now, I know that some people don't like this, but to be a prophet means you speak to the church. Everyone got that? That's what the word means. It means under the prophetic unction of the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak to the church. And so Philip had four unmarried daughters who were preachers, um, if I can put it that way. Now, that obviously is going to make things uncomfortable for some. But I know there's those two scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Women must be silent in the churches. Can I just say, I, I think it's not good theology to try sprout that off. In fact, if we had time, I think you would find it's very out of context. First uh, Timothy 2. I'm also very aware of First Timothy 2. And again, I'm just going to say, particularly contextually, that becomes very important. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to come back to the daughters in the house. Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many of you were baptized in Christ to put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor what? Female. So in the New Testament, this means that whether you're Jew or Greek has no difference. You are accepted by faith alone before Christ. Everyone got that? And also, I would suggest to you that the inheritance is equal on male and female. Now, we're nearly done. Now, with this here, I just want to say a few things with this. If this is so, and Jesus actually came to bring the full inheritance to the daughters in the house, along with the males in the house, and the curse has been removed, then that probably had a, quite a radical concept on the early church. I want to read just a few little quotes of church history. Rodney Stark estimates that the early church had probably well nigh 60% of the early church was female. 
which if you compare that to any other religious system in the ancient world, was radical. That was just not on. Listen to Celsius. Celsius was a pagan critic mocking and criticizing the New Testament church. And one of the main things he he identified to mock the church was this, a religion that attracted women. I wonder why it attracted women. (laughs) Uh, Nathan Wood, in his book, says this in Trinity of the Universe, that was Christianity's mighty and divine method with slavery. It did not preach against slavery in an attempt to bring results It changed the nature and the life of slaves and masters and made them brothers in Christ and children of the Father together and possessed by the same Spirit. Christianity, by that divine process, has destroyed slavery. That was Christianity's method with womanhood. Woman was a slave, a plaything, without a soul, as she is in certain parts of the world today. Christianity quietly made her the equal in Christ, as a child of the Father, as a temple of the Spirit, the full equal of man. And whenever Christianity went with this divine method, womanhood came into its own. Now, listen to this. You might not know this. Now, you realize the Muslim world veils its women. You realize that? Now, you've got to understand, let me just give you one little thing about the ancient world. Is all women were veiled nearly in the ancient world. They were veiled in Samaria, Assyria, Babylonia, Egypt, Greek culture, Hebrew culture, Chinese culture, Roman culture. They were veiled. Now, with this here is the practicing church removed the veil. It was Christianity that removed the veil because the inheritance was equal. Now, with this here, the Greeks are equal to the Jews. Uh, women are equal to men, if Galatians 3, 28, 29 is right. So let me conclude this way. Is 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, you have wives and who are mothers. Okay, Mother's Day. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, I know that's hard. <laughs> I know that's a near impossible task, but can you try? And Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Now, that's a poor translation. It means finer vessel. Uh, in my house, I've got good old mugs, and I've got this special china that keep Jesus, uh, Sue keeps. I was going to say Jesus keeps. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and we only bring it out on special occasions. It holds the same amount as the mugs, uh, but you just look after it more gently. And then it says, listen to this, and grant her honor, the, the woman honor, since they are what? Heirs. Heirs of what? The inheritance. McLeod's daughters get the farm. They get the inheritance with you uh, and the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we need to understand our girls in the church and we better recognize them as finer. I know, sometimes I look at carrot and I got my doubts as the finer vessel. Uh, And finally, is as a fellow heir in the kingdom of God who receives the inheritance. So with this, let's come to it. There is the world of the curse. Is Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Or we can choose the way of the Spirit. And that's the DNA that's going to exist in this house. Is 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
there is freedom. And if you're male and you're female in the house, you all get the inheritance. The farm is yours. Amen? So we're done and we are dusted. And so with that, uh, my, my little thing has stopped working, but that's a good place for it to stop working. I want to pray, and I just want to pray for blessing. I know this was instruction, but I wanted to use today to present the DNA of the daughters in the house. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we honor you. And Lord Jesus, we just stand before you, and I thank you for the incredible inheritance that is ours. Father, with that, we just pray for your blessing over every person. Father, we thank you for your spirit, your anointing and touch on all our lives. And Father, I pray particularly for the daughters in the house. Father, that Lord, there is freedom in the spirit. The curse has been removed. And Lord, we honor you. We thank you for that. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as we align ourselves with you, we just pray for your tremendous blessing to flow upon your people and, Lord, all your children. And, Lord, we thank you for your giftings and blessings in our lives. You be the glory.